Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you here know that we were born into a war as believers? And it's not just a war against the demonic or against the flesh, though that is all true. It is a war for something. It is a war for abiding in Christ. Because he promised us, he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, what's going to happen? You will bear much fruit, not just a little bit. And one of the meanings of fruits in the New Testament is to see people come to faith, as it says in Romans 1. And so the devil knows that, and he really hates losing his property. And so he's going to fight against your prayer life. Your prayer life is the most important thing that you have, because there's a promise that you will bear fruit. And so Jesus goes on to say, and apart from me, you can do? You can do nothing. So if you want a bunch of nothing, neglect your prayer life, and you'll get a bunch of nothing. But as you abide in Christ, you have this promise that you will bear fruit. You will see people come to faith. And we have seen this again and again and again as we've served the Lord overseas. And uh, I just am so excited to be with you guys today uh, to share some stories about Muslims coming to faith and seeing the promises of God come true. We are a family of 11. So we have nine kids, and uh, our picture, the picture of them is over there. You can grab a, par- a prayer card later to pray for us if you'd like. And uh, the youngest one was born about five weeks ago. She is at Stanford. She was born, and we didn't realize this, but she has a hole in her heart. And so she is struggling. Uh, she is, thank God, she has the best medical attention I think possible. But uh, again, she's struggling and she needs a heart surgery. And so while we're there, uh, just just an hour to come here. And so we're here this morning and then we head back afterwards. Uh, But man, you could be praying for her. Uh, We love her. She's the cutest little thing. Uh, So I wanted to share this morning about how God answers prayers. And uh, can I share a story with you from about 10 years ago? We were ministering in Seattle, Washington among Muslims. We love sharing the the gospel in Arabic with Muslims up there among Microsoft workers and other workers there. And then the Lord put on our hearts to go back overseas. We had been living in in the Middle East before that. And so 10 years ago, we took our flight to Italy and headed straight straight south to Tunisia. And if you get on a 24-hour ferry from Italy straight south, that's where Tunisia is, straight south. And I learned after five seconds on that ferry that I get seasick. So it was a very memorable 24 hours for me. And then we got to this country of Tunisia, 11 and a half million people, only 100 to 200 known believers. Very dark place. And we're up in the north, and they don't have that many missionaries there either. But the missionaries that were there, they said, go to the south. There are very few missionaries, very few workers in the south. And so we prayed about it, and we got a seven-hour train ride from the north of the country to the south. We saw village on left and right, left and right, where the gospel's not been proclaimed for a thousand years. The last Christians were killed or kicked out a thousand years ago. And then the Lord placed us in this apartment across the street from two sisters, We invited them over for tea. They had tea. They invited us for tea. Then my wife said, would you like to watch the Jesus film? They said, sure. And there they saw the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. They loved it. And the oldest sister said, if anybody watches this, they're going to love Jesus. 
wow, her heart was open. We're so excited. Then one day we walk over, knock on the door, and on their coffee table as they open the door, we see the full Arabic Bible. We said, where did you get this? We love the Bible. Where'd you get this? It's basically impossible to find a Bible in Tunisia. If you bring a bunch of Bibles at the port, they'll take them. They said, well, our friend went on vacation two years ago to Jordan, came back and brought us this Bible and said, this is the way to get close to God. They said, we've been reading this Bible for two years. We haven't understood it for two years. And we've been praying for two years for someone to come and teach us this Bible. And I looked at Larissa, my wife. I said, Larissa, every day you're going to go and disciple. So every day I would gently push Larissa out the door. And she would go next door. And I would just fall on my face in my room and pray. And uh, she would open the word of God. She would read the word of God with them teach them and then pray with them and after two and a half weeks the oldest sister came to christ and then was baptized in the mediterranean and why is that because we're so good no it's because jesus promise is so good and he always answers praise even prayers of a non-believer who's seeking him like cornelius and so we saw the power of God. We said, Lord, do you want us to stay in this very dark country? Or do you want us to train more workers? And the Lord put it on my heart to train more workers. I just finished my, or was finishing my doctorate in religious studies. I collected the main arguments from Muslims against Christianity. How do you respond to those arguments? And so we left Tunisia and went to the Middle East to the country of Jordan. And uh, there, the, the Lord began to do a wonderful thing. We trained about 80 people from 23 nations who are studying Arabic. They're all mission agencies send their people to Jordan to study Arabic. There's a very famous language school. And so we moved a block away, got to train all these people uh, from that, fam that famous language school. And then another wonderful thing happened. The Lord began to do a work in my prayer life. And one of the things I learned were that there are many things that hinder prayer. For example, Psalm 66 says that if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard my prayer. Do you know sin can hinder your prayers according to that passage? Another thing is 1 Peter 3, 7. It says that if you dishonor your spouse, your prayers can be hindered. And I think the devil knows these passages better than we do. And of course, he's going to want to hinder our prayer life so we don't bear fruit. He's going to attack our relationship with our spouse and make us have complaints. And that was certainly my problem. That was my mouth was my problem. And I said, Lord, if there is sin, please help me to get rid of it. And he began to work, and it was wonderful to see that. And some wonderful things happened. I remember my wife was putting out laundry one day. It was one Friday afternoon. And Friday afternoons, they blare the message of the mosque out to everybody in the neighborhood. And the man was preaching hatred to America, hatred to Israel, and all this stuff. And Larissa prayed a simple prayer. Lord, would you let that man hear the gospel? Well, it wasn't too long after that that I was walking out down the street with my son and we're getting close to the little marketplace where they sell some vegetables and so on. And I said, now, Ezra, when we get there, do not speak in English because they give us the special foreigner price, the jacked up price. He said, okay, dad. So as we got close, he was quiet. And then I bought my things. I saw this man meandering nearby and he comes over and he says, excuse me, do you speak English? And I said, yes, I do. He said, I heard someone speaking English out in front of my house when I came to find you. I said, great. And he turns to my son and says, what is your name? And Ezra's like, dad, can I speak? I'm like, yeah, we've already paid. It's no worry. So, uh, and he says, come to my house. We go to his house. I said, listen, I just have a few minutes. He says, that's no problem. What do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He says, perfect. I want to talk to you about how there's only one God according to the Bible. I said, great. 
let's do that. And so we leave, and the next day, I come there, and I start sharing with him about the Bible and how there's only one God. But of course, we understand the Trinity in the Scriptures as well. And as I was finishing sharing with him, I learned that he was part of an unreached people group in Jordan. Uh, the Circassians, they're from Russia, came to Jordan. No one's been reaching him. I got to share the gospel with these guys I've been praying for for about 10 years. Then he says, would you mind if the imam, the leader of the mosque, comes to our Bible study next time? I said, that's your house? That's fine. So the next time, there was the imam who had been preaching hatred. And I got to share about the Lord Jesus Christ with him. And he was very receptive and even moved by the word of God. And uh, another thing happened at the same time. A man we had known 13 years before when we lived in Jordan came back into our life miraculously. And uh, we saw him and he came to our house. And it's a city of over a million. So how do you meet these people that, you know, you lost track of 13 years before Facebook, right? And uh, so he comes to our house and uh, we studied the gospel of John right away that first evening Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep he loved that whole John chapter 10 he loved that passage the next time he came we gave him a Jesus film he took it we didn't know if he'd watch it but the, the next week he came back and handed us back the film he said this my wife and I watched this and this is correct his whole life he's been taught the gospel is not correct and here he's saying it's correct wow and we said, well, you can keep the film he said no it's okay I've already burned it to my computer we said all right so the next week he comes back, and he walks up the stairs to our house, our apartment, smoking a cigarette. And his face looked horrible. His hair looked horrible. His clothes looked horrible. He never came smoking to our house. And I knew there was something wrong, so we whisk him out to the front porch, bring out the coffee, and we say, hey, what's going on? And he began to tell us his problems. He had so many problems. And he said, you have a purpose, right? We said, yes, we love to serve the Lord. He said, I have no purpose, and I don't even want to live. So we brought the Bible out, and we said, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd. You were never meant to live without him, and he's going to speak to you right now. And so our friend Amin, he read this passage, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, can I really have this rest? We said, absolutely. And so he prayed, and uh, we led him in a prayer to ask the Lord Jesus to be his good shepherd and to, and to hear the voice of Jesus. And after we were done, he was in shock. And we said, are you okay? He said, I feel like I could walk in the street and not worry about buying milk or worry about buying bread. We said, you just prayed to hear the voice of Jesus. Do you know you're quoting Isaiah 55? He said, no. So we turn there and it says, come and buy milk without cost. And it goes on and goes on. And it says towards the end, let the wicked forsake their way. He says, you know, I feel my relationship with others is good, but I know my relationship with God is not good. So he prayed and received the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus. And as he left, he said, one last question, is this real? Is what I'm feeling real? We said, absolutely. And he left with joy in his step. And his wife saw a difference. I asked him the next week. His prayers, his wife and kids would know Jesus as their good shepherd. He called us some years later because we left Jordan after this time. And he said, I want you to know, William and Larissa, that Jesus is still my good shepherd. He still guides me every day. And why is that? Because we're so good? No, it's because Jesus is so good and his promise always comes true. And he says that you will bear much fruit. And he says, he goes on to say, and it's fruit that remains. It doesn't just fall away. So God is at work and he uses your prayers. How is your prayer life? Well, I wanted to share also on this topic about spiritual 
warfare because you are in this war. And I have a dear friend uh, who's in the military, Larissa's cousin, in fact, and uh, he was 26 years now retired from the military. And so every time we sit down together, I say, man, tell me about warfare. Tell me about offense. Tell me about what it is. So he taught me the, the nine principles of warfare and the Amer- American army has. And uh, also some, some basics about defense and offense. Really amazing to me. Well, what is the first principle of warfare in uh, like military, the military life? Anybody in the military? Former military? Okay, so what is the first principle of warfare? So I heard that, yes, know the enemy, but another thing that he taught me anyway is uh, the objective. Have a clearly defined objective. And so, for example, our military some years back said we do not want communism to go past this longitude, past this latitude. So they had a clearly defined objective. Now, what is the clearly defined objective for the church, for Christianity? For people to know Jesus, right? And he says it in many ways. The Lord Jesus says it in many ways. Go therefore into all the world, right? And he talks about baptizing. And he talks about teaching them to obey everything that, uh, so all nations, the whole world. He says it another way. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says it in another way. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, will be preached in all the world, to all nations, as a testimony to all ethnic, to all ethnic groups. And then what will happen? And then the end will come. So the enemy knows this, that when all nations have heard, then the end will come. And if I were on the enemy's team, I would stop, I would try to stop the gospel from getting to all nations. So as you think about militant Islam, that's part of the topic today. Uh, This is not the only group, but it's one of the groups that is trying to stop, demonically trying to stop the gospel from going forward. We know from certain mission agencies that have gathered the data that there are 457 of the last of the last people groups on earth. They're called the level zero groups. Zero scriptures in their language, zero people going to them. They're in very hard places like the jungles of Brazil where it's in fact illegal for you and I to go. Like in the center of Africa and Chad, there are 34 level zero groups. When you look at Sudan and South Sudan, there are 50 level zero groups. And so when you see the recent terrorist activity in that region, for example, Chad, South Sudan, Sudan, when you see the Darfur genocide, when you see the recent civil war, it is not just political, it is demonic to stop you and to stop me from going there and sharing the gospel with the last breach people groups. And yet we will go And yet we will sacrifice. And I know brothers and sisters who are doing that work. A clearly defined objective. All nations. It's every longitude, every latitude, every mountaintop, every seashore where there are people that Jesus died for. That his blood was for them. His redemption is for them as well. And for my wife and I, we are uh, excited to be reaching one of those groups uh, the deaf Palestinians. In fact, the last reach people group, uh, about a third of those are the deaf. So if the Lord has put the deaf on your heart, I think it's for a reason. These people are desperate to understand, to lip read the gospel or sign the gospel. 
Uh, and so uh, we started some years ago reaching out to the deaf Palestinians, over 22,000 of them. And we began in Bethlehem where we were. And then one year we said, let's go up north to Ramallah. There's got to be some deaf center up there. And so one day I, I drove up there and I asked, I said, where is a deaf center? And one guy pointed to this one place up the road and it wasn't really a deaf center and they weren't interested in doing the sewing project that we do with deaf Palestinians. So he pointed me across the street to another place. They had some deaf workers but they weren't interested in doing the sewing project. And then I walked out in the street and I saw this guy on this half wall sitting and he looked kind of homeless. I sat down next to him and as I began to talk with him I got to share the gospel and he received Christ. It was wonderful to pray with him. And then I kept going on my way up the hill to the center of Ramallah. It's just like any normal downtown, uh, you know, kind of filthy streets and uh, four-story buildings. And I saw this cafe on the second story. I said, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to share the gospel with someone up there. So I walk upstairs, and I grab a 7-Up at this cafe, and I look there's a group to the left, a group to the right. I said, Lord, which group do you want me to sit next to? And the Lord indicates to the left. So I sit down with this mother and daughter. The daughter's in her 20s. And I say, excuse me, do you know where there's a deaf center here in Ramallah? The daughter uh, was just about to answer. And at that moment, I had seen this when I was coming in. They were installing windows on the third or fourth floor. One came crashing down on the cafe and out under the street. And I thought, well, that's just the devil. And so I asked it again, again uh, do you know where there's a deaf center? The, the young lady says to me, do you know where the Red Crescent is? It's a building like the Red Cross, but they call it the Red Crescent. I said, yeah, I know where that is. She said, go to the fourth floor. And then she said, speak to this lady. And uh, she gave me the name. And I said, what? She says, I used to work there. I was like, no way. And so I got to share the gospel with this mother and daughter. And before I left, they said, well, listen, that's great, but do not share any of this religious stuff with them at that fourth floor. They don't want to hear it. It's a secular organization. I said, oh, well, I'll probably share anyway, but thanks. <laughs> so I get to the fourth floor. I meet the lady she told me about. And then uh, she says, well, the director's not here, but come next week, she'll be very interested. So the next week I show up, there's the director in the office. There are about six deaf ladies, and the translator is here from Arabic to Arabic sign language. And so I hand over this. I said, this is the project for sewing. She says, what does this mean? And this is an Arabic word right here with three letters. And I was like, should I share the gospel? Because I share the gospel through this. And I said, well, the gold letters mean that God uh, treats us like gold. He loves us. He treasures us. She said, yeah, what does this mean? I said, well, and then the reason was like, tell, tell. And I was like, let me tell you the story. So, you know, at that point, if I share the gospel, I don't know if they're going to kick me out. So I said, well, this is the story. And this is the three letters. So the first letter means that Jesus is the eternal word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And the second letter means that he died. That he said, I'm the good shepherd, then good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the perfect sacrifice to cover our sins and bring us forgiveness and bring us close to God. And the last letter means that Jesus rose from the grave. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet will they live. And those who live believing in me will never die. So I said, if you believe that Jesus is the eternal word of God that became flesh, that died for your sins, that rose from the grave to give you eternal life, you can have eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins. And I was ready to stand up and be kicked out. And the director leans forward and says, that is beautiful. Can we do the project? I said, absolutely. So these deaf women got to hear the gospel the first time. The next week we show up and there are 16 deaf ladies. We get to share the gospel again. It is such a joy to share with someone who's never had the opportunity on earth and may never again to hear the gospel of the love of God for them.
So that is our clearly defined objective, to go to all. And who has God brought in your life to share with? He's put these people in our path. Another principle of warfare is maneuver or to have a flexibility. So when you're on the battlefield, you have to be able to move one way or another to outmaneuver the enemy. And uh, we can think about, for example, World War II. The, the, the uh, Nazis had these panzer units, these, tank, these tanks that would go around and they would just decimate people. They had such maneuver, such tactic. Well, towards the end of the war, they were running out of fuel. And so you see these tanks out of the field, they run out of fuel, they can't maneuver, and then they got destroyed, right? So are you flexible? Or is your life just, I've got to do this one thing and I have no time for that person over there that God might want me to speak to? And uh, we uh, love to go wherever God leads, wherever the wind blows. You know, that's a verse that you read about in uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, the Lord Jesus speaks about the wind. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it is going or where it is coming. And so are those born of the Spirit. That the normal Christian life is you don't know where you're going to be today. And wow, are, are you flexible in that sense? We were in Athens earlier this last year. And you know, there's so many refugees there. And we love to minister and share the gospel in Arabic with them in Europe. So we arrive at this one ministry center. We hadn't been there before, but they reach out. Unfortunately, none of the staff of that ministry center speaks Arabic. And so we hop in the ministry van one day. We head down to this refugee camp, and we arrive. It's like cabins in the wood, about 200 cabins, 200 families or so. And uh, it was owned by the government, probably the nicest refugee camp in all of Europe. The government gave it over to the refugees. And so we show up, and there are about six or seven refugees that surround the van. They want to get in to go to town because it's kind of boring out in the woods. And so one of the guys that gets in sits, sits right next to Larissa, and uh, she just sees, you know, he's clearly Arab, and says to him, hi, my name's Larissa, it's good to meet you, in Arabic. He turns to her and says, I've been waiting 10 months for someone to tell me about Jesus. We didn't even tell him we were Christians, so it was amazing. He sensed that. Larissa says, this guy's interested. So we learn more about this man's story. His name is Wahid. And we learned that he was with a group, not Muslims, but the Yazidi people. They actually are a Satan kind of worshiping cult in Syria and Iraq. And when ISIS came on the scene, they slaughtered them. He said to us that his mother and two-year-old brother were beheaded by ISIS. And he was escaping for his life. And we learned more about him. And he also mentioned to us, and he showed us, that he had four abscessed teeth. He says, they're just giving me pain pills we said, no, we're going to go straight to the clinic. So we went to the clinic, went straight to the dentist, translated, and that guy was seen within a week and got all of his teeth taken care of, thank God. So we go back then to the Christian center. It's called Home Spot, just south of Athens. We sat down with him, and we got to share then the message of the gospel. And so we said who Jesus is. He's the eternal word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1. And then we said he's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. And he's right in the middle of sharing the redemption message of Christ. He said, listen, I've got to get back to the camp. We said, no problem, we'll go with you. And so we got in the van and I continued sharing about Christ's sacrifice to, uh, to forgive us of our sins, to bring us close to God. And he made that perfect sacrifice for us. And then he rose from the grave and he's the resurrection and the life to give us eternal life. I said, if you believe this about Jesus, you have to actually welcome him into your heart. Do you want to welcome Christ into your heart? He said, yes, I do. 
And so we prayed and received the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness of his sins and eternal life. And as I looked over as he was done praying, he was smiling. The whole day he was not smiling. He was in pain. But he received the greatest gift of all. And why is that? It's because the Lord Jesus is getting a hold of people all over the world. His blood was shed for them. And if we're able to maneuver, if we can just be flexible and usable, uh, he will use us. We have a friend in Jordan from the Netherlands. He was living there some years ago. And you know what he always did? He took Bibles in his big satchel, you know. He took Bibles and he had like 10 of them. And people would always come up to him in the bus or wherever and say, hey, do you have a Bible? And he'd say, oh, uh, let me look. Um, oh, yes, I do. And he'd hand it. But why? Because he was ready. He was ready. And the Lord used his readiness, his ability to share. Well, let's talk about another principle of warfare. Uh, as my friend, uh, Larissa's cousin, was telling me, the first thing when you're about to uh, have an attack, attack somebody, is the first thing you do is to put security around yourself. So this, we'll say, is security. And why is that? Because the enemy wants to come in, and he wants to outflank you and take you out so he's going to come around and attack you so you need security and you can even have for example a rear guard over here so here's my question to you what is our security in this spiritual warfare we have as christians what's our security someone said prayer right and fruits of the spirit so let's talk about the first one prayer I really love that prayer is our security because there's a verse that says it. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, you all know this verse, uh, 4, 6, and 7, it says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your request made known to God. And it says in the middle there, with thanksgiving. And what? And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard it will guard your heart and your mind and so your prayer life guards you according to the promise of the lord and he says with thanksgiving so your prayer and your praise and so i think the devil again knows this verse and he's going to attack your prayer life he's going to you know let you spend the extra five minutes on that app rather than five minutes of prayer or he's going to make you uh, feel that this isn't important and you've got so many other things to do and it'll attack your praise, your thanksgiving. <clears throat> Instead of the thousand and one things that are blessings that you can see, he's going to make you look at the thousand and one things that are hard and uh, uncomfortable. But how are you doing with that? How is your praise life? How is your prayer life? I think they will guard you. And you need to be on guard. Another thing that was mentioned is the Holy Spirit. The Lord God is your defense. There are many verses about this. I wanted to share one, my favorite one. It's in Isaiah 52, verse 12. And it says this in Isaiah 52, 12. <clears throat> but you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard, that God and the grace of God will guard you. And he also goes before you so I think the devil knows that as well 
and wants you to forget it, to forget the grace of God. That it becomes uh, legalism. I've got to do everything right, and if I don't do everything 100% right, then God's not going to use me. That is such a lie. Is there anything that can separate you from the love of God? There is nothing, neither height nor depth, and you know the rest of that verse, can separate you from the love of God. So God is your defense even when you failed. Amen? And I love that he goes before us. That is so key. If we are not doing this alone, if we're doing ministry alone, there's something wrong. He is the one who goes before us to prepare the way. So how are you doing with this? How is your security? Is your mind guarded with praise? Is your mind guarded with prayer? And do you remember that God is the one who is guarding you at all times, even when you fail? So then it brings us to the last two parts, which are, uh, the, the last two parts of the attack are supporting fire. So one group will be providing supporting fire. And the other group here will do the main attack. And they will go through the objective. All right. So we talked about security. Now this is the supporting fire. And this is the attack. Okay. So here's my question to you. What is the supporting fire in our Christian life, and what is the attack? What is the attack? Any ideas? Scripture. Scripture. Amen. That is the attack. Uh, we talk about the, the sword, right, of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you have to know the Word of God. But the way I like to say it is speaking the truth in love. So, I would say that the supporting fire in our attack against the enemy who's holding prisoner, these people who've never had a chance to hear, that our supporting fire is loving those people who are in prison in the shadow of death and sharing the truth with them. So, let's think about it this way. Let's suppose there's a person on the proverbial soapbox standing and sharing truth but they have no care or really no concern for the person in front of them. How effective is that? It's not effective at all, right? Or let's say on the opposite side, there's someone who's really loving and they're displaying the fruit of the Spirit and that's a wonderful thing. People are attracted to that. But they never open their mouth and say, Jesus is Savior. There's no attack, right? So you need both truth and love. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is love. Paul says it this way. You know, I could give my possessions to the poor and have my body be burned. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. So, let me, if I could, share another story with you. Uh, and it was the one I started with in the auditorium. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, if you want to pray for us, uh, we have a prayer sign-up sheet, and we send infrequent prayer updates. So if you want to pray for us as we minister, you're so free to sign up for that. So as I was saying uh, in the auditorium, I, we live now in the old city, near the old city of Bethlehem. And uh, some years ago, I was going into the old city, and I was walking up the stone stairs into the marketplace where they sell fruits and vegetables. And halfway up the stone stairs, I said, Lord, would you move me to meet the person you want me to meet today? I had just read that passage where Peter says that the Holy Spirit moved 
these prophets to give us the prophecies. I said, Lord, would you move me? And stronger than I've ever felt, I felt God pulling me up the steps. I said, okay, let's go. And I felt, felt him take me forward, turn me to the right, and I walked right into this Muslim mini market. I grabbed something, go to the counter, and this man says to me behind the counter, hey, are you Muslim? And I said, no, I follow Jesus. But you know, Jesus' beard is longer than this. And he laughed, and the next words out of his mouth were, I love Jesus. And I've never heard that before from Muslims. That, well, I love him too. And I said, let's talk about him sometimes. So we exchanged numbers, and I walk out, and I feel this is the man I was supposed to meet. And so very soon after that, we go to this man's house, and I meet his wife and his kids. And after two hours, the wife's been bringing in chocolate, bringing in sodas. I pull out the Arabic Bible, Arabic New Testament. I say, hey, there's a really important question. What does it mean that Jesus is the son, that he is the son of God? And Cal, this Muslim guy, says, I don't know. Well, 19 times in the Quran, it says God does not have a son, and then it accuses us Christians of believing that God uh, is like a Greek mythology God that takes a human wife and has babies. I said, that's not what we believe at all. So we took him to three short verses to explain what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. The first was where Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descends as a dove and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son and whom I'm well pleased. I said, the first meaning is that Jesus is beloved by the Father. That's why Paul could say of Timothy, he is my son. And he's not really his son, uh, but he loves him. So the Father loves Jesus. But there's no, you know, marriage or something and babies or something like that. So uh, he's the uh, beloved of the Father. The second meaning is that he's the servant. And in the Middle East, it's understood that the oldest son of the family always serves the father's will in that family. There's even a special name for the oldest son in a family. I said Jesus didn't serve 99%, but 100% and gave his life as a ransom for many. So he's the beloved, he's the servant of the father's will, and finally he's the eternal word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and through him all things came into being, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as this unique son full of grace and truth. I said never in history has the eternal word of God taken on flesh except here in Jesus. He is the unique son. So he's the beloved, the servant, and the word. That's what it means that he's the son, not that God took a wife. So Cal turns to his wife who's been walking in and out and says, wife, this is what it means that Jesus is the son of God. And he starts preaching the three points. And we were shocked, but the wife was shocked because she grew up in Saudi Arabia and you do not say that God has a son unless you want to die. Okay, it's blasphemy. He says, no, that's what it means. We gave him that Bible and the Jesus film that night. He held it to his chest and said, this is the best gift you could have ever given me. Wow, we were so excited to know this. He was so open. And he told us that night that he was with Hamas, that he was put in Israeli prison back in the year 2000, four and a half years. And um, he said one of his friends, who was also with this terrorist group, Hamas, got out and became a Christian. He said, I've heard what my friend says about Jesus on YouTube. I love everything he says. It's my turn to learn. We said, great, come over anytime. By the way, his friend who became a Christian wrote a book called Son of Hamas. Great book if you want to read it. And uh, Musab, that's right. So uh, Musab was Cal's friend. And uh, amazing story. So we said, come over anytime. So our friend Cal would come to our house some 
three times a week sometimes. And he'd come around 9 or 10 at night, stay till about 1 or 2 in the morning. That's normal in the Middle East. We'd bring out the cup of coffee and the word of God and have our studies. The first night, he said, guys, this is a closed study. Do not share with anyone else that I'm studying the Bible with you. I'm very well known in this area. But while you're here, I will watch your back. And I have many people behind me, but do this one thing. Teach me about Jesus. We said, absolutely, what do you want to know? And uh, so he had a question. We turned to the word of God. He read the passage. We said, what does this mean? He perfectly understood it. The spirit was moving. And we said, great, it's a closed meeting. We'll see you next time. So the next week he comes back and says, guys, I've got some news for you. We said, great, what's your news? He said, well, I was in the leadership meeting for Hamas this week. I'm part of the leadership in Bethlehem. And I told them about you and about how Jesus is the son of God. We said, what did you do? Do not share with the terrorists who are here, please. He said, yeah, some were really disgusted and left. Others were interested. He said, but the spiritual leader was there and said, what are you doing speaking about Jesus here? What are you doing? And our friend said, well, Jesus is so distinguished. And the spiritual leader said, no, he's not. Adam is better than Jesus. Really offensive. And our friend Cal was hurt when he said that. He says, what do you mean Adam is better? And the spiritual leader said, well, God formed Adam with his two hands, but Jesus, he's just, just a breath of air. Totally offensive. So Cal says to him, if this is how Islam disrespects Jesus, count me as a follower of Jesus. He said, by the way, I have a film about Jesus. If any of you want to see it, it's great. And then he walks out of the room and says, what did I just do? And I told him, never be ashamed that you were bold because the Spirit of God moves in boldness. So he would come and learn, and he would be at his work and speak about Jesus at his gym on Facebook. Then one night, he comes to our house discouraged. He says, guys, you know, I'm so new at this. I don't know how to respond when Muslims say things against Christianity. He said, in fact, the spiritual leader for Hamas also said Jesus did not die. How do I respond to that? Well, as I mentioned, I had collected the 44 main arguments from Muslims against Christianity. How do you respond in 44 ways? I've got 10 whole points when they say he didn't die. I'm ready to teach. So I sit forward. Ready to teach. And the Spirit of God says, quiet, be quiet. And I sit back absolutely shocked. Hey, I did all the study. And my wife sits forward and says something she's never said before. She says, Cal, we know it was Jesus who was on the cross because Mary, the mother of Jesus, could have seen his feet. Larissa said, I know the toe was on every foot of every child of mine. And uh, Mary uh, could have seen the feet of Jesus on the cross. Of course, knew it was Jesus. He said, where is that written? Very serious. Where is that written? So we turn to the Gospel of John. There's Mary, one of the disciples, Jesus on the cross. There's a conversation going on. Mary is clearly close enough to see his feet. He writes the page number and says, guys, here in Palestine, when a Palestinian has been martyred, say they've been shot by an Israeli, they wrap the body in a white sheet, and then they bring the mother to identify the body, and they pull back the sheet over the feet. The mother identifies the body by the feet. We had no idea. He said, I wish you would have told me that. I would have said it in the meeting. And, uh, you know, here's this little verse that we don't think all, a, a lot about. But it means something so deep in his culture. In fact, when he shares the gospel, he says, you know, Mary could have seen the feet of Jesus on the cross. And it means something to them, deeper than to us. And that's what the Spirit wanted to share that night. So he became a believer that night. The next week he said, I've left the leadership of Hamas because I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't want to plan destruction for anyone. And uh, while our visa was coming to a close, we always get a tourist visa. Uh, the last night, he prayed this prayer, Lord, help me to follow Jesus, even if it costs me my life. About a year after coming to faith, he went to jail for his faith. He was sharing his testimony, the wrong place, wrong time, uh, time kind of thing, and he went to jail for it. And, and now the Palestinian authority put him in jail. But he got out and stood firm for the Lord. And one other thing that he told us, uh, many things after coming to faith, he said, you know, uh, his whole life, he said, I felt like I was in a dark room. 
What do you do when you're in a dark room? He says, you look for a light switch. He said, I finally found the light switch, and that is Jesus. He told us that as he was with Hamas, he never had peace. He was a very bad person in the sense, shootings, bombings, recruiting, suicide bombers. He was very bad, but he never had peace. And, uh, but he was wooed into it like a gang, and so you can't get out, right, once you're in it. Uh, fully get out. And so he said that when he would come to our house, he had such anxiety in his heart. But as he would sit down and we opened the word of God and brought out that cup of coffee, he said he felt such peace. He said, I felt there was a chair in your heart. I could come and sit. And uh, so, wow. Uh, he knew we loved him. He knew we loved him. And I often say it's more important to know how to make a good cup of coffee than to know systematic theology. Now, you need to know the Bible backwards and forwards. You have to. But how much more is love, right? Love truth and love and so how are you doing with your love uh, the title was militant islam and refugees how does the news portray refugees right wonderfully not so much and what does that make people think or what does it make you feel when you think of refugees fear right and that's exactly what the enemy wants he wants you to see when you see that hijab over that lady's head or a refugee it's like wow let me get out of here right instead of god show me love for this person fill me with love for this person love is making room in your heart for somebody making room making time for their story putting a chair in there and say come on let me hear and so love the refugee in your midst Here's another story. I wanted to talk also about love and unity. And I want to tell you in the Middle East, uh, it's very hard for a lot of different reasons. One of them, in North Africa as well, is division between Christian workers. It's a sad thing, but I'm going to tell you it's a true and sad thing. And uh, we've seen it in North Africa and the Middle East. And slander happens. And so just be prepared. If you're sent, that's going to be part of the thing. And what, is, what does Paul teach us? He says, when they slander, I spoke kindly. So speak kindly to those who slander you. That's what he did. Uh, well, this year, uh, unfortunately, a sad story is that happened to us. We, were, um, we, we love this one ministry in the Bethlehem area. They reach out to people who need wheelchairs. They reach out to kids who have Down syndrome or autism, and they bring them to this wonderful center. They employ about 70 employees. Some, most of them, in fact, are handicapped in some way, and they give them skills, uh, sewing skills. We love to buy their blankets or their things that they make. They make ornaments. We love to buy them. When we have friends that come, like three or four friends that might come to the Middle East, we say, don't buy your things in Bethlehem. Come to this place and buy from this ministry. We love this ministry. So we show up to this ministry one day because we had two Palestinian friends, a couple from a village, kind of leaders of the village, and they needed wheelchairs. So we said, meet us, we'll take you out to lunch at this ministry center, and you'll, we'll introduce you to the uh, wheelchair ministry. So we show up, and as we walk to the counter, we said, hey, is the director here? We'd like them, him to meet uh, these, these friends of ours, and they need wheelchairs. And the secretary said, go immediately to the director's office. Very harsh. And it was kind of like, what? Okay. So and our friends saw it, which was uncomfortable as well. So we go to the office, and we sit down, and the director is huffing and puffing. He said, you guys are bringing groups of people here, and you're telling them this is your ministry, and you're stealing tens of thousands of dollars from us. And we sat back, shocked. And I said, brother, the couple we have today are a poor Palestinian couple that need wheelchairs for their village. We said, when we bring, like, friends 
three or four friends, we show them and we say, don't buy your things in the market, buy them here. And we were so hurt. And I knew it was just the enemy, just him, putting slander. And uh, he said, well, I you know, think you understand my position. And I didn't. And uh, so, and I, listen, I go to a church with this brother. This, this made no sense. So as we stood up, I, I said, I determined, I'm not going to let this happen. And I said to him, we're still going to be in groups to buy you know, ornaments from you guys. And uh, then I left. And when I left, we had a discussion with Reese and I, and she never wanted to go back, and I understand it. But I said, I'm not going to let that happen. So five days later, I went back, and I sat down in his office, and I actually had a genuine question. We're reaching out to groups who have dis uh, diabetes. That's a major problem in the Palestinian territories. And so we're doing some outreach, and it's been great. Uh, but I had questions for him. And he's been there 30 years and full of great wisdom. And I, and I said, would you do it this way, or how would you approach it? He said, no, I wouldn't do it that way. And he gave me some great advice. And towards the end of our meeting, I stood up, and I shook his hand, and I said, thank you so much. And he shook my hand, and he said, I'm sorry about last week. I said, no problem. And he said, William, do you need a job? I said, no, we're doing a mission work. We're reaching out. I don't need another job. <clears throat> and he says, well, I need someone to uh, have this group of boys, teach them some gardening, and we have funding for three years. So let me know if you know someone. I said, I'll let you know. And I called up Cal, who's been wanting to do ministry for years. I said, Cal, would you come and do this part? Do you know gardening? So, yeah, I know some gardening. So he applies for the job and gets the job. Now, here's the great thing. He shows up the first day, and these boys, uh, a lot of them Down syndrome or some other kind of disability, and... Uh, and uh, they all have filthy speech. Now, they were probably cussed out at the home, uh, told they were worthless or whatever it was, horrible uh, things. And he said, we're going to have none of that. So for one full hour before they do any gardening, they sit around a table, and he says, we're going to practice saying, I love you. I love you. Say, I love you to your neighbor. And they practice saying godly things. And then he says, let's practice saying, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. And they practice saying those things. And then he prays for them in the name of Jesus, that these boys are getting to see a real believer, that they are getting to hear about Jesus, and their families are getting to hear about Jesus. So look what God does when we have love and we have unity as believers. He opens doors that are amazing to share the gospel with people and tens now and dozens of people every year as he gets new group, a new group of boys every about six months. So love is our war. And then I wanted to share just a little bit about truth as well. Uh, again, we need to be able to say those words. Are you able to share your testimony or the gospel? Are you able to share something within 30 seconds? Are you able to share within five minutes? Sometimes you just have five minutes. Or can you share your testimony over 45 minutes? Are you able to do those things? Um, I wanted to mention just quickly, these are a way we share the gospel, not only with the deaf, but then when we're among refugees, we said, hey, this is a gift for you, and then we share the gospel because it's the acrostic for the gospel in Arabic. And I will say, of course, ultimately, your character is going to be what people see, and you can share from that place of peace and joy. Uh, uh, there's something I made a creation, it's called a liberty necklace over there, and it's a necklace with uh, a liberty coin. And, you know, it's a little unique, a little different, and it's just another way for my wife. I've given her one, and uh, it's got our, it's, it's from 1898, 1898, and that's 100 years before our anniversary, and so it's kind of an anniversary gift, but if people say, hey, what's that? She can say, well, this is a gift. It's 100 years uh, older than my anniversary, but then open it as a door, another door, 
and say it reminds me of the liberties that many people sacrifice for here in the country, in this country of America, and it reminds me ultimately of the sacrifice Christ gave to forgive us of our sins, to remove the taint and burden of sin, he gave us that freedom. So within 30 seconds, you can share the gospel, right? So that was the idea, and you can have things like that in your life, other ways to share. So, uh, truth. One last story. Can I share one more true story with you? We were in the Netherlands this last year. We always try to spend a little bit of time in Europe sharing with Muslims and, and also with Europeans, uh, just straight up Europeans. And uh, one year, this last year, we were up in the Netherlands and with a friend, Larissa's childhood friend. He moved there, married a Dutch girl, and has uh, three beautiful kids. And so we go and visit him for a few days. And while we're there, the neighbor across the bridge, and there's all these canals in the Netherlands, but across the bridge, they had a neighbor who was curious about us. What are they doing here? So one day I'm throwing the kids down the zip line at the park. They're loving it. And this neighbor comes up and says, hey, so who are you? I said, well, you know, my name's William. I'm a pastor. She says, oh, okay. What's that like? And I said, well, you know, I share in this place and that place. And she was curious, uh, but a little bit abrupt. And she said, okay. So she left and she invited us over for dinner, which is not, you know, the, the most cultural thing, which I loved it though. And so we walk over the bridge to her house and at, at dinner, she has all these questions about God. Now, in her local village, the pastor is a lady who does not believe God exists. So she cannot have her questions answered by God by her. And, uh, but we're there. We kind of adequately answer some of the questions she has. And then she turns to our friends and says, now how do we have William and Larissa and their family? How does someone get them to spend the night at their house? And we said, listen, there's no application. You can just ask. And so they invite us over for a few days and we have a great time. Well, the first day we're there, we walk across the bridge, we have uh, our time there. And the first morning, we have our morning devotions with our family. And we always go through a few verses of scripture, maybe 10 verses, something like that. We said, you're welcome to join us. And that particular day, we made it all the way to the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation. And so we read about the Laodicean church, and they're lukewarm, and he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And they're all concerned about material things. And they've got the salve, right, that they make in that, that particular city, and they're wealthy, and we don't need you, Jesus. But he says, you know, here I am knocking at the door. You've kicked me out, right? And, uh, but you are wretched, and you are naked, and you need me in your life is the, the, the message. Well, as we finished, she said, this Dutch lady, did you pick this because I was here? We said, no, we're just going through it. It's the next section. She said, this is me. She said, I have no prayer life, and I am only focused on these things of earth, this wealth. And she was so touched that the Lord Jesus spoke to her through this passage. She left in tears and went and spent some time with the Lord, which was wonderful. So sharing the word of God, knowing it backwards and forwards, and sharing it. So this is our war. How are you doing with it? You are not saved to sit in comfortable chairs or pews. You were saved to go, and it says, uh, add to your faith, add lavishly to your faith heroic deeds. The word there is sometimes translated virtue. And Peter's letter, but it means the God-given ability to do heroic deeds. So, while you're going out, keep your objective clear. The devil doesn't want you ever to think that it's about people. No, it's about the color of the carpet or the type of this, that, or the other. That means nothing. Keep that objective in your mind. Be flexible to go wherever the Spirit leads, because that's how He leads. You don't know where it's going to lead sometimes. Keep your security up your prayer and your praise and the knowledge that God is with you no matter what. 
And as you go and free people, there's really the Lord freeing people, he's gone before, with love and truth. Share, speak truth in love. And as you're praying, uh, one of the things that you can do is you can take a prayer card we have over there. Um, the, the necklaces, you can take a look at those. Uh, the sewing things, we just say like a $5 donation for these and a little bit more for the necklaces. But please take a prayer card and, and pray for us. Uh, I tell you what, my kids see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, people ask, hey, how can we pray for you? I say, just pick one of those kids. We've got lots to pick from. And would you pray for them? Uh, my oldest is 19, due in college. My youngest, as you know, is about five weeks old. Has some needs there. We may be arrows <clears throat> going, uh, the tip of an arrow going into dark places, but your prayers are the bowstring, and God is the archer. Let me pray with you. Lord, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here, that you brought them here. I encourage them this week in your word and in going forward in power uh, to love and to share and to bear fruit as they abide in you, Lord Jesus. We pray for the last 457 of the last of the last reach people groups. Lord, you died for them. You died that the message would get to them. So Lord, we pray you would raise up workers, confirm in their hearts today to go to these peoples. And we pray this for your glory and we look forward to seeing you, Lord Jesus, one day soon. In your name we pray, amen. Oh, I do have a raffle, so hold on. Uh, and I, I like to say, if you have any questions, my wife will answer them. Uh, so I need a number between 1 and uh, 14. And 12? Okay, cool. And a number between 1 and 5? Three. 3. Okay. Oh, that was confirmed. <laughs> All right. So uh, I got to go like 12 rows over and 3 back. All right. So 12, I think this is 12. One, two, three. So you're the closest to that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So the first thing, William, can you tell them why um, Muslims are having dreams and visions of Jesus? One right. possible reason. Why? Well, I don't know, but I've thought about it. And Paul spoke once about going through some real hardship. And he said, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I want to tell you that some of these brothers and sisters in Christ who come to Christ uh, may be killed within the first week. They may go to jail within the first year and certainly be persecuted by their family when this, within the first bit of time. And I want to tell you that many of them don't have a Bible. They don't have a nice pastor to pastor them. They don't have the word of God to counsel them. They have nothing. And some of them don't even read, right? Uh, but this, when they die for their faith, and when they go to jail, you know the one thing they have? The Lord Jesus appeared to me. And you may say, well, I want a dream. I want a vision of Jesus too. Well, you know what? You've got so much already. You've got so many resources, amen? And this is God's grace to them, that little bit of grace when they give their life. Discipleship in the Middle East and North Africa, it may have uh, many meetings here, but there it means preparation for martyrdom. When a brother or sister comes to my door and they want to hear about the Lord, they already know, they've calculated, okay, this is going to cost me everything. So this is God's grace to them. And I'm, I'm so glad he's, he's given it, this, these dreams and visions.
And if they want to see the explanation of the, of the purses oh. with the acrostic for the gospel, we have it in English and Arabic at hlgiving.com, right? Um, a different website, yeah. Okay, which one? I'll put so it up it here. Be on here. Okay, oh, it's, um, say it out loud. Well, I'll tell you what, it's called the war pigeon. The war pigeon, huh? The war. And you know, carrier pigeons would be involved in the war, so we're all war pigeons carrying a message. So thewarpigeon.com. That's new. That's brand new this summer. <laughs> okay, do any of you have questions? Anything you want to know about raising nine kids without <laughs> a home, etc.? Yeah? Right now, well, right now, God has provided housing for us because we don't ho have a home in the United States at the Ronald McDonald House right next to the Stanford Hospital, so that's amazing. And... Um, when we do get discharged, we may have to be near the hospital for some follow-up appointments and things like that. So we'll be praying that we'll find housing for that time. Um, encouraging notes are great, knowing that you guys are praying for us. Um, there was a couple who was here at Mount Hermon, and they've um, like made some Walmart runs for us so that we could be at the hospital and not lose that time with our kids. So it just there's some practical things. Um, and our email is on the prayer card. So if you want to email us, and that phone number, you can text or call. It's our right now phone number. So yeah, you can contact us about that. Any other questions? Yes, we are with the Puget Sound Baptist Association out of the Seattle area because we were reaching out to Muslims for five and a half years in Seattle, and we just stayed under them when we went back overseas. Mm -hmm. So it's the Puget Sound Baptist Association. They're a 501c3. Everything, yeah. yeah. Another one? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, we already bought our tickets back overseas for September 11 before the baby was September born. September 11 is a great day to fly, very cheap. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, hopefully, Norwegian Air will have mercy on us if we have official doctor's note, you know, that we have the situation. So we're not exactly sure what day that will go back. But it's really cool because there's Arabic speakers everywhere. So I was in Walmart in Palo Alto, and I saw this lady with her head covering, and I went up to her and I said, do you speak Arabic in Arabic? And she said, let me give you a hug. <laughs> she was so happy to have someone like greet her in Arabic. And so that everywhere we go, we're able to continue to meet Arabic speakers and share with them. We met some Egyptian ladies at a park in San Jose while our kids were playing together, and we got to share a bit with them. And also Mount Hermon has made this opportunity for us to share every Tuesday of the summer just because we're in the area. They've been so kind to us, so it's, God is using the time. Also, all the nurses that are with our baby were in there all the time, and our kids are in there, with, and our prayer card is in her crib, on, up on her crib. So they come and they say, I want to ask you more about what you do. Is that okay? And we're like, sure, that's totally okay. So we tell them that we tell these Muslim terrorists that there's forgiveness and salvation in Jesus, and they tell us it's the first time they ever had peace in their whole lives. The guy, Cal, when he came to Christ, he said he felt like all his life he was groping in the darkness. And when he put his faith in Jesus, he said it's like the light went on. And he doesn't know that the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. You know, they don't know these verses, but they say exactly what the Bible says. So it's really exciting. So it's neat that we're getting to share at the hospital, too. Mm. Yeah. With the Puget Sound Baptist Association, they're mostly focused on church planning in the Northwest. So we're the only overseas family. 
but we have really awesome supervisors who are like prayer warriors and they're always praying for us and encouraging us and they're really behind us. They said, Woman Larissa, we know you're called to Muslims wherever you are in the world. Yeah. So they give us right. great encouragement. And yeah. hey, if you guys ever want to come to Bethlehem, you'll come over for a cup of coffee. So <laughs> come on over. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Yes. How do you know if it's God's tugging or your own thoughts? Do you want to share? Yeah. So uh, it could be both, first of all. Uh, he can use your thoughts, give you the desires of your heart. And, uh, well, one thing that I, I will always say is uh, there is, there is a, a working with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's uh, a distinctive uh, sense, I think. And, and, and so, for example, if the Lord gives you a, a particular thing, like go down to the south road like he did with Philip, you're going to see it. And, and I would also say there's people skeptical who say, oh, you know, that's just you, it's just you. Um, it, first of all, it isn't. But wouldn't you rather lean to the, the side of saying, God might be doing something right now, and I want to follow him. And he sees your faith. He's pleased with your faith. If you just lean on him, he's never going to lead you into a bad situation. He just leads you in a good, into good situations um, that are going to bring him glory. Uh, and, you know, we have to know his voice uh, working among very, there are, there is a dangerous element. Um, there are times when, and I won't tell the whole story, but uh, we got to share with probably one of the very top leaders of Hamas, um, probably the worst guy in all of the West Bank. And when I was just about to meet him, I had a check with the Spirit, is this from you? And the Spirit gave total peace. So we went, we got to share the gospel with this very dangerous person and survive it. And that story is, uh, is kind of, um, again, is we have to have that Spirit leading. If, if the answer is no, then we don't go. If it's yes, we do go, that thing. Any other questions? Yes. So raising kids overseas and adjusting and having third culture kids. So our kids have been in over 40 countries and 40 states. And there's good days and bad days, <laughs> like in any house. But our house is just airports and roads and rental cars. <laughs> um, the one place in the world that we have is we keep an apartment rented year-round on a hill above Bethlehem in the West Bank. It's a small apartment. It's only $200 a month. So that's where they have their bunk beds and books and toys. But the other eight or nine months a year, we move every one to three days. Mm -hmm. So that's what life looks like. But we, we migrate kind of like the birds to the, some of the same places through Europe and North Africa and the Middle East. We just have this migrating path that we do each year. Make sure we stop at Mount Hermon every summer <laughs> <laughs> to get some gas in the engine to keep going. And um, so it's really cool because our kids have friends in each of those places. So we're like, yeah, we're going to that family that has the trampoline. And remember the girl had her birthday when we visited last time. You know, they, we have these connections so they can see them again and again. So it's not just see them once and never see them again. So that's really special that they have friends all over the world. And I'm always asking them, like, do you like your life? Do you like your life? Like, what do you think about your life? It's the only life, the childhood they've ever had. And we try to keep it a secret that some kids have their own bedrooms. <laughs> 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 but they do. They, they really do. 
they're thankful. For, they know that they've been given a lot of great opportunities. They do have some hardships, like we often sleep on chairs like this in an airport. When we're lucky, there's no arm between them. When there is an arm, we stick a leg between them and lay there anyway. We'll have a class later on how to sleep how in to airports. How to sleep in airports. <laughs> yeah, but God is good, and he's always provided a place for us and led us from one place to the next. Um, well, we do go just with tourist visas, so we could only be in Israel for three months at a time, and then we'll be in Europe, and then we can go back to Israel. Um, some people said maybe that's part of the reason why God has you constantly moving, because we do share with dangerous people in Belgium and Netherlands and France. You know, they're involved in recruiting and sending people on death missions into Egypt and different places. So, yeah, they tell us that. They say, yeah, they're recruiting in our apartment today for this <laughs> or that mission, so... Yeah, but God has really kept us safe, and that could be a reason why God knows all the reasons. Yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. Any other questions? All right. Yeah. Do you ever feel like with missions to all these dangerous people, like it's dangerous to the kids as well, and how do you guys kind of mm. deal with that? And kind of so, yeah. Um, there, there are, so we used to bring our kids to a lot of ministry visits, <clears throat> but unfortunately, in the particular Arab society that we're in, um, even the kids get very violent. There's a spirit of violence in that culture and a lot of other types of things that are negative. <clears throat> so our kids would end up, you know, getting their skin pinched or being hit. Or one kid uh, one time came over and said, I'm going to take your baby and smash her against the, Smith. you know, to my boy. who was like, you know, freaking out at that point. So we decided that no, they're not going to do ministry visits with us. They, at, at this one point, it was like, nah, that's, you know, it's good to forgive, but we don't need to just put you in harm's way. So generally speaking, they don't come, unless it's a very safe environment. We know the kids who are there. And uh, the other times, it'll just be myself or the recent I, and, and we'll do the ministry. Now that we have older kids, our oldest is 19, 17, 15, 13. We can leave them for a few hours while we go out to the villages. Yeah. yeah. A lot more. Yes. Yes, we have that story that he was telling about the most dangerous guy. They actually had us, they had us locked in a room in an unfurnished house at a time when there was going to be a killing in the West Bank. But God totally protected us and got us out of that situation. Yeah. So, yes. What? What's that? Okay. So, I'm not going to say his name, uh, but he, yeah, he's a bad guy. He had been kicked out of Israel into Lebanon, and then they did one of the trades, and he had been brought back in. But he was yeah. a very bad guy, yeah. yeah. Okay. But he deserved a chance to hear the gospel, too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He did. <laughs> and he did hear the gospel, and along with his disciples that were around him. And uh, God's grace is for terrorists. And they're going to they're gonna face God on Judgment Day, and they need to have mm -hmm. a chance as well, just like Paul did. He was, mm -hmm. Paul was a terrorist. Yeah. He, he was killing Christians. Mm. And look what the Lord, the grace of the Lord did. So, I mean, that's, that's why God has us there for this time, mm. is to share with these guys. And we trust that God knows the number of our days before we're born. So we just follow him. I mean, on the roads here in America, we're looking down. We have a van, so I'm looking down into the driver's seats, and people are constantly texting. You know, I mean, these roads are dangerous. A, a family from the church in Israel, they just got run over by a semi-truck, and the driver was texting and killed. So it's, you know, yeah, we're at risk anywhere. So you might as well live every day you can for the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Any other question? Hmm? How do you get involved? 
How do you get involved with overseas ministry? So there's a lot of great organizations. YWAM is a good one. Operation Mobilization, Mercy Ships. You know, just do an application and you can do a couple months, sign for a year. Uh, we think the greatest time to, for a family to do something like that is like between moves because you're not paying monthly mortgage or rent, you know. Try, try to put some stuff in storage and take a couple months and do a mission and then move into the next house is a strategic time to do it. But there's some great ones out there for ministry. Yes? Okay, all of our funding is pretty much from individuals who um, God lays it on their hearts to give. We've never done like deputation. We just trust God. And sometimes it's getting a paper bag of used clothes. That's wonderful. You know, often it'll be exactly the sizes of our boys who are growing. And we always say to them, like, how did God know you just went from 34 to 36 waist? You know, like, it's so exact. We just see God's exact care in so many ways. So that's how we get yeah. our funding, yeah, as God lays it on hearts. <laughs> Any other questions? All right. Well, if you have more questions, we'll be over here. Yeah. So God bless you. Thank you.